there's a very close proximity in our eyes to the first sketch that you do with a pen just to explain an idea the collage and the final building and the photo of the building itself so everything becomes one blurry entity Hello, and welcome to Tete a Tete, the Rice Architecture podcast series. I'm your host, Lindsay Chambers, and today's episode features 2020 Spotlight Award winners, Fala Atelier. The Spotlight Award is presented annually by Rice Design Alliance, the public programs and outreach arm of Rice Architecture, to exceptionally gifted architects who have demonstrated design excellence and curiosity through their body of work in the early stages of their professional career. Founded in 2013 in Porto, Portugal, Fala Atelier is led by Felipe Magalas, Ana Luisa Sores, and Ahmed Belkoja. The firm's playful and graphic style of representation matches their commitment to exploring themes of lightness and joy in architecture through form and materiality. Along with builtworks covering a range of scales, Fala Atelier has exhibited at the Venice and Chicago Architectural Biennials and are featured in a recently published issue of 2G. We're excited to share a conversation recorded this spring with Felipe, Ana Luisa, and Ahmed about design at the level of the detail, the role of representation and photography in their work, and naivete. Let's dive in. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Thank you. So what drove the formation of your practice? We met each other a few years ago working for the same uh, studio and at the time we connected in terms of architectural ideas and interests uh, and interests mm-hmm. and a few years after we always wanted to have our own practice uh, we decided to give it a shot and start doing a few competitions together those competitions well we end up losing all of them but from the recognition we started getting from them we got our first clients and it started from there the motivation was always there so even when we were working for third parties there was always a very clear idea that sooner or later we were going to have our own practice and what we decided to do was in a not very logical moment because Portugal was under a quite big economical crisis so we decided to go back we decided to give it a shot and now looking back with almost seven eight years of distance it proved to be the best decision ever uh, because although at the time it was very logical to do so it proved to be an uh, outstanding opportunity because there was a lot of work a lot of not very good opportunities but opportunities that could lead to other bigger opportunities and today um, well today here we are and um, so you highlight some of the prior professional experiences and some of the teaching that you do and the time spent in other cities as being important parts of your practice or making important contributions. So how do you think these experiences shape how you work or how you get references? Well, it depends. Um, let's say curatorial work or professional experiences or teaching each bring different things to the to what we do. I would say that teaching is very valuable to us because it allows to have a lot of fresh eyes on what we do and to 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 discuss things that are perhaps not in our comfort zone. So let's say we learn a lot from students, probably more than they learn from us. And um, prior professional experiences are, it's 
the way to approach a project and to run an office that we learned from them? Yeah, we worked in Switzerland and Japan, the three of us, uh, in different periods. And these two countries are complete opposites, but both of them work. So Switzerland is very uh, organized, you know what you will get, everything is very well planned. Uh, from there we got like our almost our entire office structure and archive system and all of those things. Then in Japan, when we work there, you find out that the opposite also works and it's absolutely chaotic, there's no servers, uh, things are done last minute or changed last minute, but you can still produce outstanding architecture. So we got what we wanted from different experiences and we composed our own way of doing. And it's important to say that pretty much every human being in every action they do, they somehow uh, rely on the things they saw, lived, experienced before. So we just were many times lucky to be in the right place at the right time and to, to have this, this, this moment to put ourselves in a position of being lucky sometimes also, you know, to push for things to, to happen. And I would say that everything we do today is in one way or another a direct reflection of all of these very logical or very logical um, decisions uh, of the past. So, in your piece for Platt 8.0, Notes Towards the Definition of Naivete, you begin to describe naivete and how it can specifically relate to the way that you practice architecture. Can you elaborate on this a little bit? Naivete is a, is a kind of a tool, in a way. So, it's not an exclusive tool, it's not the only thing you need to produce architecture, but it's a very valuable tool if used in the right way, in the right amount, uh, in the right direction. And what we mean by this is that Architecture has two main sides. There's a very practical and pragmatic one that deals with economy, with geography, with law, uh, with um, a client, and you cannot ignore that. But there's another side. There's, um, let's call it a more poetic side of architecture that many times does not interest that much the people we work for. So that is not really the requirement, but it's something that interests us a lot. And what we try to do uh, is to remain very active on that field, on this more poetic or ethereal uh, side of architecture. And naivete is a way of somehow, let's say, ignoring or forgetting or acting like if all the other sides of the project are not there. It allows us to do things that if we were stuck to this more mundane, pragmatic aspect of architecture would not allow us to do the architecture we want to do. Yeah, I think, so this is one aspect, let's say, how we try to forget in certain strategic moments some of the realities of a project in order to dive fully into other ones. The other aspect is that naivete to us is, um, is a certain kind of um, innocence or trying to unlearn certain things to be in a position where you're not sure anymore and you have to learn things afresh and every project therefore becomes a total experiment because we believe that the moment you really feel like you know what you're doing you're probably wrong there's no point you're wrong <laughs> and, and and lost and yeah and and so or at least that's not the way we would want to do architecture which by the way, informs 
in a very paradoxical manner the way we teach when we are asked to teach because how do you teach something that you have zero certainties about and it's also a lot about youth in the sense that um, I don't know how long we can keep saying this but we are a young practice so we are all uh, inexperienced to a large extent and the team we work with is even younger and even less experienced so there's uh, also direct notion of naivete in that sense but we stopped looking at this as maybe a problem because it is for many clients an issue like if you're not experienced how should you be able to build a building but we start seeing that as actually one of the key assets of our practice that by not knowing that much maybe you don't know important things but you also don't know things that would you know be an obstacle on the in the process of designing a project or designing a, a building yeah also on, on this topic and a bit going back uh, to our previous experiences we never worked in an office in Portugal so we never learn how things are done in an office in Portugal so during the process we learn by ourselves so we never got any bad habits from other offices and I think that also helped us uh, being a more free to do things because we don't know for normal standards if it, that's right or wrong and that's a good thing. So I guess would you say that your youth was one of the main reasons that you were inspired to really embrace this idea of naivete? I mean, fr frankly, it would have been very arrogant and stupid of us to try to base a career on an experience we didn't have, right? Of course. And in the end, we are a bit disillusioned by, let's say, this figure of the architect who knows because he has experience. And so, yeah, of course, it's linked to the fact we were super young and that we had very little actual experience of how to build. Yeah, and the way of building in Japan or Switzerland has nothing to exactly. do with the way yeah. you build in, yeah. <laughs> in Portugal and has nothing to do with the way you build in the US. So even though those experiences were very good, yeah, the construction short, part, so. yeah, yeah. In the construction part were yeah. not that relevant. Um, and we are comfortable with this. That's it. So as the time passed, and you know we have been doing this for a few years already, we understood that this is actually a very comfortable and optimistic way of uh, of doing architecture. Yeah, exactly. It puts you in a position where instead of being anxious about what you the limitations of what you've learned, you actually fully embrace it and try to find some sort of pleasure and potential in this. There's no pressure. And as you were initially starting out without your own experience as a firm, you started designing interiors or smaller scale projects and now you've started to design at even larger scales as you've really gotten clients and recognition. So what are some of the processes or design elements maybe that very easily scaled up or what are some things that you had to work out as you started designing at larger scales? So first, we haven't made a huge shift in scale yet. Uh, we're not doing airports, we're not building cities. But we, we are, let's say, we've never had this thought that, okay, this idea doesn't work at this scale. I don't think the scale makes such a difference. Everything is architecture. You should put the same degree of effort and passion and intention to, you know, the renovation of an apartment as you put to the design of a house 
or to the extension of a cultural institution or to the master plan of a city. I think that what is really, really important is not if it's a big or a small project or if as the scale changes, if it gets more or less complex, but in terms of its architectural intentions, they should be seen as equals, not as the important piece of architecture and the relevant piece of architecture. I think also architectural, or let's say compositional intentions can adapt. So of course, you know, if you are doing, if you are using a certain pattern on a facade of a small house, and then you try to just take the exact same pattern to a skyscraper, you will have to rethink the pattern you use in order to achieve the same effect. But the architectural desire remains the same. This is elastic. And we, and sometimes there's also a lot of energy that can be brought to a project by playing with, if you want, the wrong scale. For example, one of the um, most important buildings of the last 30 years, let's say, in Porto is the Casa da Musica by Rem Colas, which is based famously on a project for a single-family house that was never built. And, and simply because of that shift in scale, it, everything finds a new meaning. So. We like when there's a detail that feels sometimes like it's not at the right scale. Yeah, there's a, there's an added value in certain mistakes that stop being mistakes and become sometimes even key aspects of a project. So it's, it's about being to a certain extent inclusive and accepting what you get and accepting that if you have this problem to solve and the obvious solution is, you know, the one you have to do and that's it, Okay, then you do it, but you do it in a good way. You take advantage of it. So, yeah, it's 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 about smiling at the challenge and not so much criticizing the limitations. So, looking at some of the tools that you use to produce your designs, you utilize the technique of collage a lot, in which colorful and playful elements and sometimes pop culture references are combined. What effects are you trying to create with this technique? No effects at all. That's I think that's the main point. It's <laughs> that the point is not to create effects. The point is to provide a certain image of a project at a certain time. It's more about affects than effects, if you want. It's not about atmosphere so much. It's about what is there in the project, really. And there is furniture and people. That's about, let's say, humanizing it and understanding use, which is a very factual thing, right? But it's not about let's say the mysticism of atmosphere uh, it's something very dry actually it's about a limbo also it's about understanding that the architectural intentions they are only really tangible maybe in the last moment when the project becomes a building and until the project is a building the project is just an ethereal construction it's something that is floating in our minds and that takes many forms the collage allows us for a kind of nice balance between the last stage construction and this kind of ethereal construction that is in our minds at the start. So it's defined enough for a, you know, a four-year-old to understand that there's a room and there's a certain element and there's a certain proportion and a certain tension and occupied enough so that you perceive it's a room or a plaza or a garden or a, a bedroom. But at the same time, it's not telling you everything. So it always forces you to keep the dialogue running. It always forces you to go back a second time in a second moment. And maybe, if you're lucky, when you build it and you photograph it, it will be the same or it will be slightly different. 
it will be slightly better or sometimes slightly worse you know you never really know like there's a bit of this limbo condition that is very very valuable when you use the collage as a tool and it gives us uh, some margin of adaptation during construction also and some margin of discussion with clients because it removes details out of the equation like you're not discussing on your first day i'm going to be very practical you're not discussing on the first day the handle and if the tone of the kitchen is exactly that tone or if the, yeah. the skirting it is at the right height it, it's it makes it extremely clear that the project is still something very much in the future or something distant yeah but and all the main ideas are there and that's yeah. the entire goal um, so usually it comes at the stage where when these ideas aren't being discussed still and it puts the, fo the focus yeah. on the architecture yeah. not on the one to two scale of, yes. uh, of a detail. Let's say one of the paradoxes is that it's at the same time extremely close to the way we conceive the architecture, but at the same time it finds a certain kind of autonomy. So let's say we realized whenever we would do photorealistic renderings of a project and the project would not be built, those photorealistic renderings would feel extremely sad. They would feel like a failed promise. While the collages, if the project doesn't happen, we feel less sad looking at them. And I think that's something, it says something about them. They're not just an illustration of a, of a promise. They're really part of the project in that sense. And the collages are valuable to us only because they impact the way we do the architecture. None of the projects we do today would be as, as they are if they had been looked at by us through a different lens. There's a virtual cycle where the, um, the way we conceive impacts the way we represent, which impacts the way we conceive. And at that point, it feels good, because if a mode of representation is just a fancy way to represent exactly the same thing you would do without it, we don't really see the point. And the collage is a tool, it's important to say this, that happens during the project, so while we are designing. So it shows up on the first day, it keeps evolving, you add an element, you remove another element, you you know, you do a new file, you start a new collage, you do a new print screen, you take another element in and out and so on. So it's a kind of, uh, you know, in a very practical terms, it's a PSD file from which you save hundreds of JPEG versions and you keep seeing, it's almost like an histogram of the, of the project process. And the last collage we usually publish is the last state of that, of what we believe the building is gonna, is gonna be. And what we try to do usually one, two, three years later, is when we document photographically the building, we try to go back to the collage. So we don't fix the collage a posteriori. We actually publish them very early so that people understand, you know, several years have passed and you see the collage didn't change, the building came to meet the collage and not the other way around. So it's very important that mostly young students that sometimes ask us this understand that this is not a, a style, this is not a uh, ornamental, uh, let's say, cosmetical device to glorify a piece of architecture that we are proposing. This is a tool, and a tool impacts the production, as I had said, and the production needs that tool, and so on and so forth. What I think is really interesting is when you touched on, when you go back years later and you're taking a photograph of the finished product, and sometimes you even show them side by side with the collage. I guess I'm just wondering what is the idea that you're trying to show through doing that comparison? Is it that these really do end up being so close to the final product or that people can see the differences or? We usually choose the collages in the best perspective 
uh, always frontal perspectives that shows all the intentions of a project. So it's almost automatic that the photograph that we want to take would be also the same perspective. And uh, it's not so much us that we put side by side. It has been other people because I think it, when we finally start getting our projects finished and photographed, people were surprised on how accurate actually a collage can be because you're a photo you're not looking at the details you're looking at the overall project overall ideas and they can show the same things and it's true that in the same way we furnish and we have people in our collages we also bring elements to give a bit more life to our images with exact the same intention so we often take the pictures before clients move in uh, because usually we don't have access to, to them after. So you will notice that it's always the same plants, it's always the same vases because it's our the stuff. And that process is very similar for us to the collage conception. I think it would be extremely sad if we were only photographing this way. Our photographer is generous enough with his time to do these photos on top of the ones that show you a different perspective on the project. But it's important for us, yes, to get a sense of how much of the small dreams from the beginning of the project are still there in the end, and therefore I think that's the one of the main reasons why we do these images. Mm. Yeah. Our photographer, uh, Ricardo Loreiro, um, he has some freedom and he has the freedom of taking the pictures he wants and it's and he takes this one yes and it's yeah <laughs> and it's a perspective on how we also see our project so there's always a collaboration between architects and photographers and and going back to something we said before is that the photograph the photographies we take of the building are not the building the building is not the photos the photos are not the collage, the collage is not the drawing, the drawing is not the model. So each of these things is somehow telling or showing a different angle on one thing that is the only thing common between all of them, that is not the building, it's the project, the idea, the architecture. So the proximity that is visible or the, this kind of tangency that is visible in the collage and the photo and they're put side by side is the architecture. So let's say it's not just the fact that it's a similar perspective, it's the fact that you understand the same elements with the same relation between each other, with the same degrees of contrast or uh, proximity, let's say. So what is absolutely fundamental that we understand is that a photography is not a building, and the collage also not, and they're not trying to, to be, they are just, you know, framing a specific perspective of a specific point of view of a uh, specific space in the project like the collage did several years before, but the collage did it in a kind of, uh, um, let's say, looking ahead perspective, like this is what we believe it's gonna be, and the photo is trying to say, and this is where we got to. Yeah, we never fix collages after a project is built. So Actually, we fix photographs more than we fix collages. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it happened already that colors change, a few elements change, but ideas are there and maybe in the future we will go back and take new pictures and see what the clients did and maybe that will be another stage of the project so they are not representing the same things
we are trying uh, what we could call an academic study on the small projects we built so far. So it is true that many of these commissions are small commercial projects, you know, like renovating an apartment. It's, you know, it's not probably where the, the meaning of life is going to be. But it is also true that these are the opportunities we have today to look at our work from a theoretical perspective. And therefore, this thing we said before about treating all of the projects at the same level and with the same degree of respect and commitment allows us to many times learn more from a simple renovation of an apartment where a certain contrast or clash between elements was very obvious. And other times we have bigger projects that actually become less relevant in that sense because although being bigger, they don't have the same thing that was uh, so strong in the, in the small one. So talking a little bit about your designs, in the piece for Platt, you, as one of the elements of naivete, you highlight that elements, patterns, unexpected colors, and clashing geometries have a place in naive architecture or in a lot of your designs as well. So how do you begin to incorporate these different geometric elements like stripes, circles, dots is one of the things you mentioned at the RDA Spotlight lecture. Each of those elements uh, have a specific function. So sometimes a pattern is to highlight the contrast between one element or another element or our building and another building or our extension and an existing building. Sometimes uh, the dots are to finish a building, to mark an entrance, to become a handrail. They are like architectural bow ties in a way. Yes. <laughs> so it's not randomly placed, they have a function. Sometimes it's an aesthetical function or a proportion function or a compositional function, but it's still an architectural intention. It's not randomly placing things. Almost everything we use or all of these elements, they, let's say they are weaponizing limitations. The, the f- the striped patterns that we used on wooden floors. The first one we did, we wanted a darker, more expensive wood, uh, mahogany, right? We just couldn't afford to make the whole floor out of it, and therefore we realized we could afford one third of it, one quarter of the entire floor to be this wood, and it became a pattern, and we liked it and played with it in other projects. And so I think the very bold patterns are also... And they are unifying elements. You can... When you use a specific solid color or a specific pattern in an entire object or in an entire surface, you somehow grab the whole surface as one, so you give it a certain autonomy. So this pavement that Ahmed was saying, by having this very strong pattern aspect, it becomes a kind of uh, piece of its own. It's like uh, mm-hmm. it's almost as if you are doing a permanent installation on the pavement of that space. Yeah. Almost nothing that we do comes out of personal caprice. It's always very strategical. And then out of the limitations, we try to be as bold as possible and to... And to have fun. Yeah, exactly. To make it as as pleasurable to us and to the clients. We need to enjoy doing what (coughs) we do because we do it for a lot of hours a day for several days a week. And not for (laughs) a lot of money. (laughs) And and not for a lot of money, yes. So you really need to like it. And another thing that is important is that it's to introduce this concept of flatness. In many of these collages, mostly on the interior collages, we are talking about flat surfaces with a different pattern, a different color, a different uh, overlay. And in that case, this kind of autonomy, you know, the, the boldness of a pattern or a color makes those surfaces 
pop out and and become you know autonomous as I said before. It has also to do maybe with the fact that in on the outside in Porto we actually have very defined urban rules that we always end up doing bidimensional facades because of that. Therefore, we got used to look at them frontally and to just overlay different elements and colors and so on on them. And and even inside the buildings, it's it's always about succession yeah. of frontal relationships. And so, as a conclusion, we end up flattening these elements to what you call a pattern on the pavement, we could call a surface. What you call a handrail, we could call a line. What you call, a, you know, these circles flying, we could call a dot. So it's it's as if the architecture becomes uh, a building, so the project becomes a building, but the building is still made with things that you did with a pen or with your Photoshop files. So they, there's a very close proximity in our eyes to the first sketch that you do with a pen just to explain an idea the collage and the final building and the photo of the building itself so everything becomes one blurry entity yeah we like let's say the inconsistencies of looking at a project through a lot of 2d representation techniques i mean we we actually do models both physical and and computer models but we don't really think in 3d we always think in a succession of 2d moments therefore let's say there's always clashes between these different B-dimensional representation and and a lot of the energy of the projects is actually in those inconsistencies. Yeah, and that B-dimensionality probably came uh, because of the kind of projects we had in the beginning because we had no impact in terms of volume on the existing buildings or existing apartments. So it made us start developing a way of doing architecture in a certain way that the collages also followed the same mm. uh, thought then it's like you don't know what came first uh, because now even when we are faced with outside volumes we keep designing them through bidimensional images and we do models but not volumetrical modules to understand how we want the space because the kind of projects we've done in the beginning and the development we gave and the way we work now uh, it's not really compatible with with that kind of, uh, of process. And we don't know where this is going to get us. So as we said before, if maybe we get too comfortable with this, maybe we do something else soon. The point is, what we do today, and to answer directly to the question, is, is an answer to what we had been doing until now. But it isn't, and it shouldn't be in any way a limitation for what we're going to be doing ahead. So it took us here, but it does not need to be a burden that we need to carry forever. If, if there is a method or a process, it's always being challenged and it's always open. We don't feel the pressure that we need to keep doing collages. If one day we get tired or they don't serve us as they serve us now, we will stop them. And we are already exploring a lot of different ways of representation, especially with uh, drawings. Yeah. In terms of weight within the office, the collages have already less importance than they had mm -hmm. two, three years, four years ago. So how do you see the practice developing from now on, I guess, since you've, you've gotten a little bit of recognition, especially with the RDA Spotlight Award and I think you were even starting to touch on it a little bit, that if things aren't interesting to you, you're going to move on. So where do you think that will take you? If there is a modus operandi in what we do is that we don't make plans. I mean, we are interested, let's say, in diversifying the kind of program we work on. Especially um, because when you diversify the program, <coughs> you diversify the problems you have. So you will have to diversify the solutions. Yeah. So that for sure will help us 
uh, keep moving forward yeah. uh, and the entire point is not to get stuck into something so and not to have the pressure of something so that's a very ardent desire let's say yeah. uh, in Portugal the market is based on private clients and housing we already did a few uh, public programs and of course uh, those have a different appealing because more people will actually have access to them and use them so it's also different for us to produce in terms of future we don't feel pressured about anything so I think there's there's an obvious next step which is we are building the projects we have on the table today so we're gonna probably build them or some of them but in the meanwhile we are also trying to tackle other kinds of commissions maybe some private competitions for cultural institutions maybe teaching is also going to grow into something else other than you know what it is today maybe once in a while we get commissions like we are now designing an exhibition and it's, it's also yeah, there's yeah, but, there, but there's one thing that is truly truly you know beautiful about designing domestic spaces and cultural institutions they will never defeat that is the fact that Normally, if you design a house, you design a house for someone. And that someone is, you know, it's a very specific body. So it's like tailoring a suit to a specific body. So you can extrapolate the eccentricities of that specific body to a point where that house becomes a unique piece. But cultural institutions, to a certain degree, they need to be abstract, generic, flexible. You know, um, they need to be socially aware of what they are. Let's say it's about the desires of a limited amount of people and therefore there is more diversity there ultimately it doesn't need to be politically correct uh, f yeah but should a museum really be for more information on Fala Atelier please visit their website at F-A-L-A-A-T-E-L-I-E-R.com or you can find them on Instagram. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review and don't forget to subscribe to our page on your favorite platforms to keep up with new releases. I'm your host, Lindsay Chambers, and this has been Tata Tat.